Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Nobody Knows edition, as we take an in-depth look at who the Bengals are going to select with the first pick of the second round of the NFL Draft. Obviously, I don't really know who that is going to be. Nobody does. But I'll take a look at 10 players who have popped up on mock drafts as the 33rd overall selection in this year's draft. And you'll hear from people who have great information about each player. Before we get to that, I'll spend five minutes with Bengals head coach Zach Taylor. Unfortunately, he is still not permitted to discuss the Bengals additions in free agency. Teams can't comment until the players have passed physicals and signed on the dotted line, but I'll talk to Zach about Andy Dalton, A.J. Green, and much more. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing. It's the greatest thing since Everyday Heroes. During the COVID-19 pandemic, I've tried to keep two words in mind, careful and hopeful. But each day, I feel more and more grateful to the everyday heroes who can't stay home. Doctors, nurses, and other healthcare workers, police, firefighters, and other first responders, grocery store employees, delivery people, news broadcasters, the list goes on and on. Thank you for all you're doing to help us cope with this crisis. Now, let's get to football, beginning with my conversation with head coach Zach Taylor. As I mentioned, the league is not permitting teams to discuss specific free agent acquisitions until they have completed physicals, but I did start my conversation with Zach by asking him about the team's aggressive approach this year. Did you feel like it was important to change the perception around the league and also within your own locker room, perhaps, that the Bengals weren't willing to sign some of the most prominent free agents? It was just about improving our team. That's all we're focused on. We don't, again, our, our motto has been, it's about us. You know, we're not worried about what the outside perception is. We just want to improve our team to get the most out of our players. And so that's that's been what we've set out to do here in free agency. And we feel like we've we've made those improvements that really give ourselves a, a, a good chance on both sides of the ball. And it's, it's things that we're all on the same page with. We're all excited that we got them done. Um, you know, it's free agency is not over yet. We're still looking at every single way we can improve our team. And, and we're willing to do so if, if the opportunity is presented itself. You officially tagged A.J. Green, which I think all of us anticipated happening. You have until July 15th to try to sign him to an extension. Is it just a matter of dollars and cents at this point, or does the team need some sort of proof that he's healthy? Well, it, it doesn't hurt. We'd obviously like to see AJ um, in the offseason program. There's a lot of things that are up in the air, obviously, with that, just in terms of, of what's going on in the world right now. So um, we'll just take it one day at a time. But we've made it known that we want AJ here. Uh, we think very highly of him. You know, it's not somebody that we want out of the building. So uh, we'll just continue working through it and, and take it one day at a time. You met with Joe Burrow at the Combine. One person in the room who's been involved with these things for many years says it was the best player interview that he's ever been a part of. What were your takeaways? We'll keep it somewhat private, but I think uh, it was not unexpected. 
you know, he's an impressive, impressive person. It was the first time we had a chance to talk to him one-on-one, you know. So, uh, again, very impressive. All the things that we expected to see and hear from him. And we'll continue to get to know him, you know, in different ways now. It's a little bit unique, his process. Uh, it's, it's different than it was in the past now. You know, now we're going to rely on FaceTime and, and just conversations over the phone. You're not going to get a chance to see these guys in person again until the draft. So um, it was just a starting point for us. We're excited to, to continue to get know, to know more about him. And, and uh, you know, we're just getting the process started right now. When you coached the Senior Bowl, we all talked about it as the time as – as an advantage to have that much contact with those guys in light of what's happened where teams had the opportunity to interview 45 players at the combine, but now you have been forced to do phone calls and FaceTime and Skype and things like that. Is it even more of an advantage than you thought it would be at the time? I think you'd have to say it is, you know, we, we got that face to face interaction. You're planning on being able to bring a lot of players into your building. You know, that got thrown out the window um, you were going to get to go to more pro days and, and meet these guys face to face. That got thrown out the window. So I think any any face to face time that we got, which which us and the Lions were really the two teams that got that opportunity, um, is beneficial. And so I'm glad of all the years that we got to do it. It was this year because that that does check a couple boxes on some guys that otherwise we'd be curious about. But again, now you just got to be creative at this point and, and find ways to make sure you obtain the same information about the players that, that you would have otherwise had to do through traveling to the pro days and bringing guys into your building. So you got to be creative in how you do it, um, you know, just just virtually at this point. Where do things stand with Andy Dalton and trying to trade him at this point? All options are on the table. You know, he, he's still a Bengal, and um, we still work through that. But um, right now all options are on the table, you know, and, and uh, he's obviously a quality player that we think very highly of. And, um, he's under contract, and so, you know, we'll just keep working through that process. What are you advising your players to do right now in terms of staying fit in light of a lot of home quarantining? Right, so take it week to week right now because we really just we sent them some information that no players can be in the buildings for, the next, for this week and next week. So, you know, not that we have many guys that are around this time of year anyway, um, but guys are going to have to be creative with the workouts because, as you've seen, gyms are closing. You know, a lot of workout facilities around the country are closing uh, for the time being. So we got to be creative in, in what um, what our guys can do. And obviously, right now is a time where they couldn't be they couldn't be training with us anyway. Um, but they could come in and just be monitored in the weight room. But you can't tell them what to do. So those guys are just going to have to take it upon themselves to be creative and what their approach is and be ready that whenever the off season program does start. They're in shape and ready to roll. Now the most important question. How is Sarah coping with four young kids and no school? <laughs> Just like any 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 mom is around the world. You know, it's no different. Um, she, she's been great. You know, I think she's got some uh, – she's becoming a teacher in some senses. You know, she's got the kids around the table and, and making sure they stay up on their studies and trying to make it creative and enjoyable. But she does a great job with all that. So, um you know, it's just, she's going through it just like any other mom. The Taylor family has found ways to have some fun during this social distancing period. Go online and search for Zach Taylor Old Town Road, and you'll see what I mean. Now, let's turn to the draft. Let's face it, we all expect the Bengals to select Joe Burrow with the number one overall pick. 
No matter what rumors pop up about the Dolphins trying to swing a trade for the top spot, I would be flabbergasted if Joe Burrow is not wearing a number nine Bengals jersey to begin his NFL career. So the real drama for the Bengals begins with the first pick in the second round. I've predicted on this podcast that they'll trade down at the top of round two in order to get more picks. But for the sake of argument, let's say they don't. If the Bengals go ahead and use the 33rd overall pick, who are some of the players they are most likely to choose? I combed through a bunch of mock drafts this week and came up with 10 names. Then I reached out to the play-by-play broadcaster at that player's school, or in one case, the head coach, to get an in-depth scouting report. I will share the results in alphabetical order beginning with the player who appears on more mock drafts in that spot than any other, Wisconsin outside linebacker Zach Vaughn. He was one of the most disruptive players in college football last year with 19.5 tackles for loss and 12.5 sacks, and I discussed him with Badgers play-by-play man Matt LaPay. Dan, the strength of, uh, of Zach Vaughn is uh, is a fast twitch pass rusher. Uh, I think you probably heard this a lot, uh, and it's true. I think the thing that became very noticeable about him is he has a, he had a very quick get off time. You know, his forty time at the combine is probably middle of the pack at his position, but his quick burst enabled him to uh, to get to the quarterback at a pretty high rate. Uh, he, and, and on the defense. That was not star-studded. There was only one other player who was as much as second-team All-Big Ten. They were a good defense, but they did it collectively. But Zach Wong was one of those guys I think opposing offenses had to account for. You had to find him and where he's lined up on every snap because he was he was he truly was a difference maker. Quick, a lot of speed, uh, high football IQ, and someone who had battled injuries earlier in his career but really blossomed uh, to an extent in 2018, but really came into his own in 2019. A lot of the draft gurus list him as an edge player. Is he strictly a pass rusher, or will he be able to be a three-down linebacker? Well, the other thing that they, they did like about him is that he's shows a fair amount of versatility, and I think he's still growing. Uh, I think he's someone, you hear the term upside a lot, and I would like to think he, he fits that description, has a lot of it. But I, I think he, he can drop back into coverage. Uh, he, he can do a lot of different things. He needs to get bigger, I think, to, uh, to be a more, uh, more of a run-stuffing type of player. But I, I do think, especially in today's NFL, his versatility lends itself. Uh, he can rush the passer, but he can also he can drop back uh, in coverage, and that's something that he'll continue to get better at. But um, uh, a very popular word to describe Zach Vaughn still at this stage of his football life is that he's versatile. I'm intrigued by his background. High school quarterback, offensive player of the year in the state of Wisconsin, high school track star in the 100 meters and 200 meters. That's unusual for a guy that's 6'2", 240 pounds now. Yeah, they, they've had this interesting stretch here at Wisconsin for the last uh, few years where a lot of their linebackers were high school quarterbacks, and it's that old line that you know, the best player on your team at the high school level is likely a quarterback, or at least your your top three players, one of them is going to be a quarterback. And, and Zach makes fun of himself a little bit. He said he really, quarterback in name only, he ran the ball a lot, but he threw it. He threw the ball around a little bit. I guess he would be the high school 
a little bit more of a dual threat quarterback, uh, you, you would say. But there was no secret that his his future as a college player would be that of an outside linebacker. And, and he, you know, he missed 2017. He had a foot injury, and that, that wiped out his season. Um, as I said, in 18, he, he certainly showed flashes. But I think going into last year, they thought he could be a real important cog to this defense, and he was all of that and then some. But he is, no question, very athletically gifted. What's he like as a kid? Great guy. Really, really good kid. Uh, as you mentioned, a Wisconsin guy. Um, he, he likes to keep things simple. Uh, there's a real popular tourist area in the northern part of the state. We call it the Northwoods, and for him, that's uh, that's his slice of heaven to, to go up into the Northwoods and just to have a quiet, long weekend or, or stretch of days, whatever. Uh, the calendar allows him to have. Um, it, it's always funny, and, and I'm, you know this from covering UC, that one of the great joys that we have are watching guys as freshmen and then see what they become as juniors and seniors, and they grow as players, but they, they grow as people, too. He's very poised in an interview setting. Um, he makes you feel relaxed. Uh, he's, he is that fit. Um, he's just a really, he's a really good young man and I think would be a really good get for the team that takes it. I saw a comparison to Joe Schobert. What do you think of that? Yeah, it's interesting uh, because Joe, too, was he was somebody who was a really good high school running back, uh, put up some ridiculous numbers uh, at, at the prep level here in Wisconsin. Uh, the difference was Joe was a walk-on here and then became what he has become now in, in the NFL. Uh, I think there are some, some similarities. Uh Vaughn, you know, maybe on the surface is a little, I was going to say a little more athletic, but I'm not even sure. Joe Schobert's a really athletic guy. So I, I think it's fair. I think both of those guys, uh, they, they put out some pretty good linebackers here in Wisconsin, especially outside linebackers here in recent years. Joe is one of them, and I think Zach Vaughn is on that same line. Up next alphabetically is USC offensive lineman Austin Jackson projected this week by ESPN's Todd McShay as Cincinnati's first pick in the second round. USC has another player who has popped up on some mock drafts in that spot, wide receiver Michael Pittman. So I discussed both of those players with USC head coach Clay Helton. Yeah, you know, Austin has been a three-year starter for us at USC. Tremendous athlete. uh, Has played left tackle uh, the whole time. I think has a really, really bright upside. You know, you're talking about a kid that was only with us for five semesters, if you can believe that. And so uh, a young young kid uh, that is really coming into his own and I think is going to be one of those guys that play in the league for a long, long time. Extremely football instinctive, smart, athletic um i've had the uh, i've had the luxury of of and having the opportunity to be around a tyron smith and a matt khalil when i first got to usc uh 10 years ago and he fits that mold he fits the mold of a first round draft pick offensive tackle that's going to have a tremendous career at this young point in his development is he better as a pass blocker or as a run blocker um, I, I think he is ex- exceptionally well. We, we were a passing team, and when you're talking about uh, his ability to pass block, you, you know, in Graham Harrell's offense, that's that's a must. And to watch what he did, I think he has both attributes to be successful. 
but we know what the NFL is as well as, you know, what college football has become. You have to have guys that protect that trigger man and protect that quarterback, and that's what Austin did a tremendous job for us on. The Bengals selected Jonah Williams out of Alabama last year, uh, the first offensive lineman taken in the draft, so he is projected to be their left tackle. Can Austin move over easily and play the right side, in your opinion? Yeah, no, without question. Um, you know, he's a, you know, I watched Tyron when we first got here, and he was a right tackle that moved to left, and I've seen Matt Khalil go from left to right. Um, he, you know, he's naturally right-handed, uh, which which is a preference for right tackles, uh, but has, you know, has played the left tackle position. He's a guy that I think could do either one uh, at the next level. What's he like as a kid? He's the captain. He wants. He's the guy that you look up to, uh, and uh, uh, he was the example of what we wanted a Trojan to be. He was a tremendous student athlete here, leader amongst his team. Um, everybody respected the young man, and uh, a, a guy that I think has just tremendous upside as a person. Let's turn to wide receiver Michael Pittman. 101 catches for nearly 1,300 yards this year, 11 touchdown catches. Uh, a great receiver in a great wide receiver class. I think there's going to be tremendous value in Michael's pick um, because I think he's a first-round draft pick talent um, that because of how deep the receiver class is, somebody's going to get a lot of value here. You're talking about a kid that's 6'4 plus, of 220 plus, ran four five two forty, 240, uh, plays even faster than he is, uh, has the deep play capability to go over top of people, was our big play guy uh, on our offense last year, you know, 1,200 yards. And, and he's the, he, he, he reminds me a lot of the way we've had Robert Woods and Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Marquise Lee, those type of kids that really were defensive, played defensive side of the ball in high school and brought that defensive mentality to the offensive side of the ball. No job was too small for him. Uh, played on all four special teams during his time here. Just a great teammate uh, and a, another a, a team captain for us uh, on, uh, on our football team. Where does he fit best? Outside, slot, is he versatile to do all of it? Yeah, you know, within our offense, we moved Mike around. You know, primarily he played about 80% of the time outside. But we did use slot formations with him to match him up on safeties uh, to be able to create some one-on-one opportunities on maybe a lesser athlete. And so he has that experience uh, at both positions. Naturally, being that big, I think people will look at him as an outside receiver uh, first, but uh, he has the ability to move around. He's learned conceptually uh, rather than just learning maybe an X or a Z position. He knows he's learned the position like a quarterback does. Uh, and I think that's uh, he's an extremely football smart kid that uh, I, I think's got a uh, huge upside uh, going in uh, playing on Sundays. I read somewhere that he only had five drops in his USC mm-hmm. career, which speaks to his consistency and reliability. No, oh, no question. Uh, you know, you're talking about a kid that caught over a hundred balls for us this year, and he was just the model of consistency this year. Um, really, uh, could have happened earlier for him in his career, but. He was playing behind another really good receiver in Juju Smith-Schuster. And uh, when his time came uh, this past year, he made the most of it. Tell us about Michael as a person. 
Mike is is obviously he was up for the Jason Witten Man of the Year Award uh, for his community service within our community, uh, a graduate uh, of our university, um, a team captain. Uh, you're talking about a guy that uh, you, you don't get to coach too many Michael Pittmans. Uh, I, uh, I cherish my time with Mike, and uh, um, as a person, as a student, as an athlete, he's he's a definition uh, of what you want as a Trojan. Another wide receiver is next, Baylor's Denzel Mims. Dane Brugler from The Athletic is among the draft experts who have predicted that Mims will be the pick at the top of round two. Here's Baylor radio voice, John Morris. Yeah, Dan, it's good to be on with you. Good to talk about Denzel, and uh, really hoping this turns out well for him because I think he deserves it. Uh, he's had a great career here at Baylor, and I think he's ready to step up to the next level. Uh, he's a he's a really good guy. Comes from East Texas, has that kind of small town mentality where you know he, he has to work hard. He works hard every day, but he had a great career here at Baylor, and he really you'll see uh, you know when when you see him um, at the next level you'll see he has a knack for making big plays at big times. And he did that a number of times for us here at Baylor. 6'3", 207 pounds, ran a 4'3'8 at the combine, 38 and a half inch vertical. It sounds like he's a phenomenal athlete. He really is. And, you know, I, I would I would describe him maybe as wiry, but when I think wiry, I think thin. And he's not really thin. I mean, he's a good size. And with that height, he's got great jumping ability also. I uh, can remember a game we had here last year against Oklahoma State where he just out uh, left the uh, defensive back and made a catch for a game-winning touchdown, you know, in the end zone. So it's like, uh, you know, how high can you jump? Well, as high as he needs to. <laughs> and we saw that on several occasions. I've read some uh, reports about him that suggest he will make the unbelievable catch and then occasionally botch the easy one. Is that fair? You know, that probably is fair. Uh, but I think uh, you just got to get him, uh, you know, focused and, uh, you know, knowing that each time he's targeted that he's got to make the most of it. Uh, during his career here at Baylor, he had a really, it, it, you know, to be honest, a disappointing junior year. And a lot of that was missing balls that were thrown right at him. And he really worked on that, came back highly motivated to have a great senior year. And you could see that he was better, much better in that area his senior year. So I, I think that, uh, you know, on his, on his rap sheet might be fair, but I think he's gotten better at that. And I think, uh, and I would hope moving into the pros that, you know, he would be focused on every catch. Is he the type of guy that you would expect to come into the NFL and do well right away? Or is he somebody that's more likely to have uh, some growing pains as a rookie and then really hit his stride in year two or three? Yeah, I don't know. You you would probably know the answer to that better than I would. But, you know, I've, I've seen him as a, as a collegiate guy here at Baylor. And uh, I think he would be uh, – I think he would do everything that was asked of him. And, you know, will want to get better and improve on things, you know, whatever the coaches wanted to improve on. So I, I don't really know how to answer that. Uh, I, I think he could be an impact from day one. Um, I think he's got that ability. And you talked about his speed. I know that raised a lot of eyebrows, what he did at the Combine. So I, I think he's got all the tools to, uh, to be successful, you know, from day one. So I wouldn't discount him from that. Does he remind you of anybody, whether it's a former Baylor wide receiver or an NFL player, anybody that immediately comes to mind? 
Ooh, good question. Uh, I'll tell you what, the first one that comes to mind is Josh Gordon. Uh, Josh on the field, Josh Gordon, <laughs> who is a really good receiver and made big plays, had great speed, really strong hands. Uh, I think Denzel has those qualities. I think I've seen, uh, you know, at, at the collegiate level, I've seen Denzel display uh, leaping ability better than what we saw from Josh when he was here. But the first one I would compare him to, the first one that comes to mind would be Josh Gordon. And, you know, you, you take away the off-field stuff uh, with Josh, and that's, a, a, I think, a complimentary on-the-field comparison. That's a wow to me. If you're yeah. talking about Josh Gordon on the field, that's one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. He absolutely was, and unfortunately just couldn't stay, you know, out of trouble off the field. And let me make the point, I think Denzel's going to be a really good citizen. You know, he's going to be, he'll represent whatever team drafts him well. Uh, he'll he'll buy into the city wherever he is. You know, there was never any off-the-field issues with Denzel here at Baylor. Bengals beat writer Paul Daner Jr. recently did a seven-round Bengals mock draft, and his second-round pick was Oklahoma middle linebacker Kenneth Murray. I spoke to the voice of the Sooners, Toby Rowland. A great kid, first off. The thing that I think about with him is his personality. He is, uh, he's got great charisma. He has been a team leader from the moment he stepped on campus. Uh, not one of those lead-by-example quiet guys. He's, he's vocal. He's charismatic. Guys rally around him. Uh, as for his play... Everything you'd really want it at that position, good size, 6'2", 6'3", great speed. Uh, I would say as his career progressed at Oklahoma, he got better and better at becoming instinctual. Uh, early in his career, you could tell he was trying to figure out what gap he was supposed to be in, and he'd be slow to the play a little bit. And you saw last year especially, and even – um, at the latter parts of the year before that, he was playing very instinctual, uh, hair-on-fire football and, and flowing very well. So I, I think he's going to be a tremendous pro. There's a track record where he is concerned. He was a three-year starter, so uh, there's a lot of snaps to evaluate for NFL teams. Do you consider his strength the run game or pass coverage? I would say definitely the run game. I, you know, He's been a middle linebacker from the day he stepped on campus and to – Start as a freshman at that position at Oklahoma is something. I mean, they've got quite a history there, all the way back to Bosworth and, and Lehman and Rocky Kalmus and on and on and on. So uh, he's an impressive physical specimen. I, I would say he is uh, average in pass coverage and uh, way, way above average in the run game. You started out by talking about him as a person, and I've read that he is the son of a minister and his family helped raise special needs kids. Is that where that foundation comes from? I'm sure that's the case. Uh, we had uh, we saw several examples while he was here of him helping out with the patients at the OU Children's Hospital. Uh, there's a big connection between the OU football team and the OU Children's Hospital, and they will come, uh, several of their patients will come to practices, come to games in the locker room. And, and a lot of times you'll see guys kind of a, adopt a patient to be their buddy. And Kenneth was always a favorite. All the kids loved him just because of what we were talking about earlier. He's got an infectious personality. He's got a big personality. He's got a lot of charisma to him. And he's right in the middle of everything on Saturday when you look out on the football field. 
So this podcast is about candidates to be the first pick in the second round. The Bengals have the 33rd overall pick. Is that a good range for Kenneth, or do you see him as a potential first-round pick, uh, several picks ahead of 33 overall? Yeah, my hunch would be he's gone by then. I think you're going to have to move up into the first round to get him. I think he's probably in the um, 18 to 25 range. I've seen some mock drafts lately that even have him closer to 15. Uh, you never know. Once you get into these things and trades start happening and, and uh, stuff like that, if Kenneth Murray is around with the first pick of the second round, I think Cincinnati would, would probably uh, jump at the opportunity at him at that point. Do you have any questions at all about his NFL potential? No, I think that, you know, he had a hamstring situation at the Combine, uh, running his second 40 time. He came up lame, but that, it appears everything has, has healed there. Uh, he is a tremendous physical specimen. He's got his head on straight. I don't think you're going to have to worry about anything there from an uh, attitude or a personality standpoint. So uh, maybe pass coverage early in his career until he learns the NFL game a little more, but I think he's going to be a great pro. Before we get to our next player, here's a quick reminder that you can take your Bengals pride to the next level in 2020 with an official Bengals fan package from Prime Sport. Another linebacker who recently appeared at the top of round two in a mock draft is LSU's Patrick Queen. And this is another case where he's not the only player on his team that could be under consideration. Several people have suggested that it would be natural to select Joe Burrow in round one and one of his favorite targets, Justin Jefferson, in round two. I discussed Queen, Jefferson, and Burrow with Tigers play-by-play man Chris Blair. Well, Patrick's one of those guys that I think did nothing but absolutely, Dan, just improve his stock as the season went along. You know, going into the year, uh, Caleb on Chasson, uh, along with Michael Divinity, were kind of the guys that, that I think was on everybody's radar. Uh, but, you know, when you watch the game, and I'm sure scouts saw it in person and then broke down film, they, they, they began to see that Patrick Queen had all of the assets and had the high motor uh, that the teams are looking for. And uh, to me, I, I think there's several on this team. Uh, I know we're going to talk about Justin Jefferson coming up, but, you know, th- there were several members of the championship Tigers that, that – kind of came on the scene early and often as the season went through and, and then were able to climax with big games uh, on the big stages, the SEC title game, the Peach Bowl, and ultimately the national championship game. And, and to me, Patrick Queen is one of those that just jumped off the screen uh, just in the way that he played. I mean, he, you, know, you look at Devin White, uh, who came out of LSU two years ago, and, and one of the things about Devin that I think impressed so many people was whether or not he made the tackle, regardless of where it was on the field, you saw him around the football. He had just an incredible way to cover side to side. And, and we all were stunned, uh, frankly, this year that, that we said the same thing about Patrick Queen. I mean, he was in on plays wherever it was on the field. He was great in run support. He could cover the middle of the field in the passing game uh, and had the speed and really the know-how to, to find the football. And to me, that's what makes him stand out. He's listed at six feet tall, 229 pounds, ran a four five forty, and he's only 20 years old. Do you think he will get bigger and stronger? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things, you know, the coaching staff at LSU talked about was, you know, as the season went on last season, we would ask, you know, what about the emergence of Patrick Queen? 
uh, and Tommy Moffitt, the strength and conditioning guru here at LSU, as well as the defensive coaches, said we have you know yet to begin to, to scratch the surface of where Patrick Queen will end up. And I think they were, were kind of referring to the fact that there's a chance for him to get bigger and stronger. Um, so when you put the package as a 20-year-old now going into a professional NFL uh, weight program, uh, along with his speed, I, I think he could end up coming out of that machine as a monster. I read one scouting report that said great in coverage in the passing game, not as strong in the run game. Is that fair? It's fair. I mean, I think that some of his bigger plays, uh, obviously the interception against Alabama is one of the highlights of Patrick Queen's career, and, and that was pretty good coverage downfield uh, against a great crew for receivers and a pretty daggone good quarterback in Tua Tagovailoa. Um, so I think you probably would say his passing coverage as a linebacker is probably his strength. Uh, but as the season went on, I mean, LSU gave up a lot of yards rushing uh, during the first maybe six, seven games. I mean, that was the Achilles heel of the LSU defense, not just Patrick Queen. Uh, and then as, you know, they got more healthy, they had some uh, improvements in depth on the defensive front, suddenly we realized this team wasn't so bad against the run. Uh, you know, the thing that was held over LSU, if you remember, was the, the, the running game that Ole Miss put together. Uh, with their misdirection option play that kind of kept them in the ball game, And everybody said this LSU defense can't stop the run. Uh, well, they did a pretty good job, and Patrick Queen was a part of that when they absolutely shut down Georgia uh, in the SEC title game. So I think if you take his season as a whole, you probably could say there's some pr- improvement to be made there. And, and no doubt he's going to make those improvements as he gets older and more experienced. Uh, but I think Patrick did a much better job, as did the entire LSU defense, down the stretch of that championship run against the rushing attack. What's Patrick Queen like as a person? Really good guy. You know, it's it's one of the amazing things about this team, and, and you could pretty much ask me about any of the defensive or offensive standouts from a year ago, uh, and I will talk about their team mentality. And, you know, Coach Ogeron talked about it all the time. It, it wasn't about the individual. It truly was about the name on the front of the jersey. And Patrick kind of epitomizes that. He's a guy who, against a, a good set of linebackers, Caleb on and Michael Divinity, who I already mentioned, some of the younger guys, Marcel Brooks, uh, that, that got some playing time there uh, in the middle of the field, they, they pushed each other. Um, they, they, they were competitive, um, but they were not afraid and, and, and didn't mind when the other guy had the heck of a play. I mean, I can, go back and watch some of the b-roll of some of the games the celebrations these guys had for each other um kind of stood out to me so when i think about patrick queen i think about a guy that is that is team first me second and you know again being 20 years of age with a lot of talent and i think a lot of upside uh if i'm a coach if i'm a coordinator i want a guy that's team first and i think that's what you get in patrick queen Let's turn to another candidate to potentially be the 33rd pick in the draft, wide receiver Justin Jefferson. 111 catches, 1,540 yards, 18 touchdown catches. Describe Justin. He's going to be loved by whatever team he gets. The fan base is going to fall in love instantly with Justin Jefferson. And he's a great story for those who don't know. Uh, You know, maybe a two-star. I think he got a little bit of love from some of the sites that he was a three-star coming out of high school. Uh, and frankly, the only reason he ended up at LSU is because his two older brothers were standout players. Uh, and the Tigers, you know, took a chance on him. And, uh, you know, he played, uh, I think, started as a defensive back. Uh, they moved him into the wide receiver's room. 
uh, and he had a chip on his shoulder. And he probably outworked everybody on the team, top to bottom, and you know, had a breakout season. I mean, he was just a guy that it was amazing to watch. If the ball was within arm's reach, Justin Jefferson made the catch, and he made it against some pretty good defensive backs in the SEC. And you know, Justin's just a fun-loving guy. Uh, he's a lot like Joe Burrow in the sense that I always thought being around him, he walked that fine line between being confident and cocky, uh, and he never really deviates. Uh, he's confident in his abilities, and why shouldn't he be? Uh, he's got the numbers to back it up. And, and frankly, I felt like him not being a finalist for the Bolitnikoff Award was a complete slight uh, last season. No question his teammate Jamar Chase was the best receiver in the country, but I felt like Justin should have been in that semifinal list. And I think the fact that they were teammates – probably went against him um but he is a heck of a player he's got speed he's got great hands he was part of that trio of receivers at lsu that used the jugs gun on their own without coaches and handled ten thousand passes off the jugs machine just to make sure that if their quarterback put it in their vicinity they were going to make the catch and more times than not if it was in the air justin jefferson came up with it 78% of his snaps came in the slot. Do you see that as being Justin's role in the NFL? You know, I think so. Just, I mean, again, you know, he, he, I think he's got a chance uh, to get a little bigger, uh, but I think uh, vertically he's probably where he's going to be. Um, and I think he becomes, at least at the college level and the high power five level, uh, he became quite, quite troublesome. Uh, for teams to be able to, fit, to defend him in the slot uh, based on the skill set he possesses. Um, you know, again, he's good, runs very crisp routes. I mean, that's what's impressive. When you go back and watch the film, you know, Joe Burrow was fantastic. The receivers got great hands, uh, but they were very good at finding the creases on the field against defenses. And a lot of that goes to, to the skill set that Justin has. And it seemed to work time and time again in that slot position because uh, more times than not, he was matched up with a guy that either wasn't as fast or wasn't as tall or wasn't as athletic. And, and that became a weapon that LSU used over and over and over. Obviously, the level is going to move up quite a bit uh, in the league. But I think that that's a good place. It wouldn't shock me if that's kind of what his specialty is, uh, you know, moving down the road in his career as a dangerous slot receiver. Chris, you know how this works. Uh, scouts have to find something to pick these guys apart with. So one of the things I've read about where Justin is concerned is that Joe Brady did such a great job as a coordinator that Justin was schemed wide open. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I can see where, you know, uh, I, I, I won't completely deny that that's not something that could exist simply because, you know, you had three receivers that on any given day for LSU would go over 100 yards receiving. And it started with Jamar Chase, uh, Justin Jefferson, and then even Terrace Marshall. Uh, and usually Marshall and Chase were your, your wide outs. And as I said, and you mentioned, Justin would be in the slot. And there were times where they would teams would try bracket coverage. And, and usually it started out on Jamar Chase. Uh, and then like in the, you know, the Oklahoma game, Justin Jefferson ran free. Uh, I mean, it was just phenomenal. It looked like he and Joe Burrow were the only two players on the field. And again, part of that is scheme. Um, but I but I think that's too big a slight to say that there's not much more done by Justin Jefferson uh, to make the plays uh, that he made throughout the season. But you're right. I mean, these guys got to come up and, and, and look at everything from upside and down. Uh, and there are arguments to be made that, that obviously there were there were coverage attempts 
uh, and focus on either Jamar Chase or even Thad Moss at times as the as the very talented tight end uh, that allowed Justin Jefferson to kind of find his way wide open uh, against the given defense. But but I think you could make that argument, but I, I, I wouldn't say that that's what made Justin Jefferson as good as he is. So this podcast is about candidates to be the 33rd overall pick in the draft, but I've got to ask you about Joe Burrow. The stats speak for themselves. Describe what it was like to be around him last year. You know, it's funny. I, I get accused blatantly, and I, and I openly admit it. I look through purple and gold lenses when, when, when talking about LSU. That's, that's what I'm paid to do. Uh, and, and obviously, I'm, I'm the president of the Joe Burrow fan club. Uh, but I was a fan of Joe Burrow when he arrived on campus in June of 2018. And at that point, he was a backup quarterback at Ohio State that saw very little time. Uh, there are the roads littered with stories about guys in Joe Burrow's position transferring somewhere. And there's a reason that they didn't start at Ohio State. And it became very evident, Dan, early on. We couldn't figure out why he wasn't playing more than he was uh, at Ohio State uh, because he was just phenomenal. Uh, but but more than the numbers and uh, the, the most touchdowns thrown in college football history, uh, his his accuracy throughout the season, uh, you know, pushing dang near eighty percent most of the year. It's the way he approaches the game, and that's what stood out to me about Joe Burrow. Uh, I mean, he's got all the tangibles. I mean, he's got the height. He's got good enough speed. He's got that uh, gallop. I liken him to a thoroughbred horse. He's not super fast, but his legs are so long that he, he tears up and turns up grass quicker than, than maybe you realize. Beyond all of that, just the way he prepared. Uh, when I saw Joe Burrow, I saw him prepare for games, prepare in the offseason the way a professional football player prepares. I think a lot of that has to do, obviously, with his older brothers and his father being a, a longtime and very successful coach. Uh, but I also think it's, it's the want-to and the drive uh, that's just inherent to, to who Joe Burrow is. And that, to me, is what makes Joe Burrow great. People ask me all the time, do you think it's going to translate to the next level? I, I don't know. There's so many variables involved there. What I do know is that he's got everything that it takes mentally, physically, is the way he prepares for a game, the way he breaks down film, the way that he is just tenacious in his preparation, that everything's there for him to have a very, very successful NFL career. Baton Rouge is obviously New Orleans Saints country, but it sounds like if Burrow is the number one overall pick by the Bengals, Cincinnati will instantaneously become the second favorite NFL team in those parts. There will be an absolute tunnel that will suck just about every Cincinnati Joe Burrow merchandise that's allowed that will be drilled all the way here to Louisiana. Uh, There's no doubt about it. Wherever Joe Burrow goes, he's going to have an instantaneous fan base inside the boot of Louisiana. This week, the Sporting News came out with a two-round mock draft, and their selection at 33 overall was Michigan interior lineman Cesar Ruiz. We get the scoop on him from Michigan radio voice Jim Brandstatter. Well, he's a good quality football player. You know, I'd call him a steady Eddie kind of guy. He's he's very smart. Uh, That's why I think, you know, he's a great center prospect because he can call both sides blocking assignments to the line. He did play early as a bit of a guard, so he's got some position flexibility. Uh, but the big thing is is he's, he's steady. I mean, he's never going to you know, make the big mistake. He's, he's going to get everybody on the same page. I like his ability as a center 
as a quarterback of that offensive line. And physically, uh, he's got all the tools. And he's played in a shotgun offense. He's played with a guy under center. So he can handle all that technical stuff, too. The Bengals have a greater need at guard than center, although their center could play guard if he had to. Do you think that Ruiz could make that transition successfully back to guard? I think he could, but I think his natural position is center. I, I think that's where he should play, to be quite frank. Um, that's just the way he is. He's played center for, what, three, three and a half years now. Uh, the guard situation happened because, you know, they really needed him at that point to step in and play guard, I think, as a true freshman at Michigan. But uh, his natural position, once he got at center, there was nobody going to get him out of there. That's how good he was at center, uh, playing Big Ten opponents and doing a great job against some of the really good defensive lines in, in the game, like Wisconsin and Ohio State and Michigan State. Uh, they, they did a great job against that uh, those lines. And uh, to be quite frank, Caesar was the middle of it, and he was the one that kept that veteran offensive line of Michigan's last year uh, on the same page, blocking some of those tough D, D lines. Jimmy's only 20. So he'll be one of the younger guys uh, in the draft this year. What does that say about his potential to continue to improve? Oh, I think it, it's huge. I mean, I mean, that, there's a starting center there for ten years. I mean, if he stays healthy, and he did it, he did it, at Michigan. But you're looking at a guy that you know for ten years you can kind of pencil him in as a center, and, and you know any coach in the National Football League when you've got a guy that's that consistent uh, year in and year out, and you can just pencil him in, boy. Uh, it's like having two players uh, because you know you've got a guy that's going to step up and, and not hurt you and give you good, solid uh, years of service. Uh, and he's young, and he's a leader, and that's, I think, very important to teams in the National Football League these days. After about the first 10 picks, it's really hard to project where a guy is going to go. Do you think there's a decent chance he will be there at the top of the second round? You know, in the NFL draft, it's so hard to say. I mean, I've been around them so often. It's it's like at some point you think you got it figured out, and then there's a run on something, and boom, all of a sudden your entire draft goes off the wall. And I think that's that's what the way it is every year. So, you know, if all goes according to plan, which never happens, <laughs> yeah, I think he'd be available late first round. But there's somebody out there that might say, you know what, we really want this guy because two other guys have come off our board and he was the top guy on our board, and we can get him. Let's get him. And that that's just something that you don't know, man. It's one of those things that, as the draft goes, it's a living, breathing entity all by itself, and it changes pick to pick. What's he like as a kid? Great kid. Really a good kid. Very. He's, he's not real rah-rah, you know. He's just a business guy. He goes about his business. He's, he's very bright, very intelligent. He and uh, – Michael Wainu, who was the big guard at Michigan, they were, they were buddies. And, you know, Caesar, because he was a veteran and a leader, would always go to the media sessions. And he handled himself very well. But not flamboyant, not outspoken, not one of those guys that's going to give the other team some locker room blackboard material. Just a real solid kid. In Jeff Hobson's most recent mock draft on Bengals.com, Cincinnati's second-round selection was Colorado wide receiver LaVisca Chenault. Here's the voice of the Buffaloes, Mark Johnson. Well, he was a guy, and I, I tell this story frequently, Dan, that uh, Coach Gary Barnett, who does the broadcast with me, of course, was a phenomenal coach at Colorado Northwestern, and I was standing in the practice field one day, and 
Uh, Les Steckel happened to be uh, at practice one day, who Gary had coached with and uh, a long-time college NFL coach. And the three of us are standing there talking. And LaVisca Chanel was just running a fade down the sideline, just a few yards from us. And without even looking, just hearing him run by and catching the football, Les Steckel stopped mid-sentence and said, who's that guy? And he turned around and we were telling him about it. He goes, that's the nearest thing I've seen to Michael Westbrook since I coached Michael Westbrook. So uh, there, there was a veteran coach who just, uh, you know, just because he heard him run by, they already knew he was a great athlete and then began to watch him and talk about him. But, you know, Gary's talked about him. I've talked about him over the course of his time at Colorado. He's a physically impressive human being who is dynamic and violent at the same time. He's, he's one of those guys that's got suddenness. And, and that's uh, what was kind of fun about calling his games for three years. Mark, tell me about his ability to make people miss. Well, he's got that, and unlike a lot of uh, wide receivers, he's got running back in him. I've heard people say that when he catches the ball, he turns into a running back. And if you go back, and I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but over the course of his three years here at Colorado, his yards after catch and contact were unbelievable because of the ability we're talking about. He's got wide receiver speed, but because of that thickness, and he's one of those guys now that – when you look at him from the waist down, you're hard to believe. You find it hard to believe he's a wide receiver. He was one of the guys who used to squat with the offensive line because of the power on the lower half of his body. And so he was awful impressive to watch in that regard because when they got the ball in his hands, now he was fast enough to run away from people. One of his great touchdowns here at Colorado was in a game against USC where he turned and ran away from about three NFL guys in that secondary. And so he's got speed, but he's also a guy that doesn't mind contact. Now, now that caused him a couple of – uh, you know, bruises and bumps uh, during the course of his co- uh, college career. But well, he, he's got the ability both to run by somebody and to run through somebody. It's really interesting because the website Pro Football Focus does a comparison for every player that they're evaluating. And they compare him not to a great wide receiver, but to Saquon Barkley, backing up exactly what you were just saying. Yeah, and I can see that. And we saw it right away. I'll never forget the first time I walked out of the practice field in his freshman year three years ago, here it is, it's August, and we'd heard the name, and obviously that name, LaVisca Chenault, stands out, so I certainly remembered him. Walked on out there, and I was, Gary and I were standing there watching the team, and finally I, I looked over and I thought, well, who is that guy? Because this big, thick, muscular, linebacker-looking uh, type human being was working out with the, the receivers at the time, and, and we figured out very quickly that was LaVisca. So he, he does, I'm not surprised by that comparison that's what he looks like. Now, he doesn't always play that way because of those wide receiver skills he brings. I think he's a decent route runner, Dan. Um, he, he's got very good hands. He tracks the ball exceptionally well. Uh, he had a game-winning touchdown in Lincoln, Nebraska, a couple of years ago in which he had guys hanging all over him. And he's, you know, he kept that vision, those eyes, on that football. And so he's got those abilities as well. I think he can get better as a route runner. That's going to come with time, I think. But from a physical standpoint, boy, there's, there's not much question about LaVisca Chenault. He aggravated a core muscle injury at the NFL scouting combine and elected to have surgery. How big of a concern is his durability? Well, and that's been the big question. I've got uh, certainly enough friends that, that uh, you know, are covering the NFL and are dealing with general managers. And I know that's the question I've been asked a number of times about him. For the most part, the stuff he had weren't very concerning. Now, now even that core injury that you're talking about, I think the only concern, from what I understand, that uh, General Manderson and the NFL had were, why didn't he get that taken care of 
as soon as the season was over. Because it's one of those things that can be an issue and it can be nagging, but it's not necessarily a serious injury. I know plenty of former buffs who played in the NFL who had that injury. They both told me it was pretty simple to get over. You get the surgery done, it's a pretty quick recovery, and you get back to it. So I think he got a little bit of bad uh, advice after the season. I know that the former coach here at Colorado, Mel Tucker, had been pleading with him. He was a longtime NFL coach. To get it taken care of, somebody advised him differently, and I think he made a judgment error there. Now, from an injury standpoint, in terms of durability, uh, because of that violent nature, I think he took probably more hits in college than, than maybe he will in the NFL, what I mean by that. He was such a weapon for Colorado, they utilized him at times. I thought a little bit more than maybe they should have in the previous two stats, to be honest with you here. So I don't know that NFL coaches are going to make that same mistake, uh, but it is certainly, I think, something that, that people got to be aware of because of the bumps and bruises he had here at CU. Statistically, he dropped off from his junior year to his senior year, 86 catches to 56. Was that injury-related? It, it was. Because of the core injury we're talking about, that hit him, oh, I'm trying to remember, I think it was about five games into the season, so he missed some time there, and then I think they were trying to manage that down the stretch of the season. So it certainly was not an issue with him in terms of his ability. It was more of a cautionary, I think, by, by the Colorado coaching staff. They, they were trying to nurse him through it, get him to the end of the year, try and get the bus to a bowl game, you know, which didn't happen. But uh, the number drop-off was certainly not, I think, anything related to him in terms of his game. It was more than the, the health issues. Our 10th and final player is one of the most productive pass rushers in this year's draft, Boise State defensive end Curtis Weaver. He was Cincinnati's second-round selection, according to a recent mock draft posted on draftsite.com. Here's Boise State broadcaster Bob Beeler. He's a guy that has transformed his body and improved every single year that he got here. The first season he was here, that he registered, and he was listed on the roster at 287. But I remember that spring when he was in high school listed as a 300-pluser. And when you saw him that first year that he was being registered, he looked kind of roly-poly-like. He's now listed at 265, 6'3", really cut. So he's a guy that has really transformed his body since he's been here. As a registered freshman in 2017, he had 11 sacks. He had 9.5 sacks in 18. And then last year, he had 13.5 sacks. So... He holds the Mountain West record, 34 career sacks, very quick, has a great motor, works very hard, good teammate, and somebody that I really enjoyed dealing with when he was here. He always had a smile on his face, and I think people enjoy playing with him. Bobby was clearly an elite pass rusher. How about the rest of his skills up front? Can he stop the run? I don't know if he's big enough to play in the down four would be my biggest question at 265, um, but he didn't. he didn't go back and pass coverage a whole lot. They used him a little bit kind of as a defensive end slash outside linebacker. So for me up front, the question would be, you know, how big do you need to be to play in the down three or the down four if you're wanting to use him up there? And then my question, if you use him in an outside linebacker, is how quickly can you develop somebody into more of somebody that's going to play off the line and maybe have to cover in addition to rushing? Based on what I've read, he doesn't appear to be an elite athlete certainly not a bad one his three cone drill timing was excellent at the combine but not a freakish athlete is that fair yeah i 
think so. I think he's a good athlete. I don't think he's somebody that you're just going to see numbers and everything pop off the chart. I think he studied well. I think he was a smart player when he was here. So I think that would be something that would, you know, help his cause as he looks at film and always seem to be prepared. He seemed to, you know, know how to take advantage of other teams' weaknesses. But no, I don't think he's somebody that you're just going to be wild with as a physical specimen. Not that he's not a very good athlete or somebody that would, you know, certainly be able to, you know, run fast or, you know, lift weights, et cetera. Tell us about Curtis as a person. He's a lot of fun. I mean, he's one of those guys that, you know, when you have an interview, he's somebody that's articulate. He'll, you know, carry on a conversation with you. I always enjoy, you know, he was a guy for us that was, you know, each game they picked a couple players for post-game shows or we did coaching shows or we had different players. So from my standpoint, um, he was always great to deal with. As I said, I think he was viewed as a very good teammate, somebody that, you know, I think had the, the, the – ideas of what makes the team better at, at heart as opposed to maybe something somebody that just wants to look out for themselves and you know pad their stats. Bob, do you have a possible comparison for him? Does he remind you of any other Boise State players or anybody else you've seen against the Broncos over the years? I don't think he'd be as good as a Van Der Esch coming for the Cowboys because I think Van Der Esch was able to be used in his position more naturally feeling you know what he was asked to do here versus what the cowboys asked him to do but i'm terrible when it comes to projecting people for the pros sometimes i think someone oh they're not going to make it and then they end up making it or oh i can't believe they'll be a can't miss guy and and you know i think a lot of it depends on scheme they get in with coaches they get in with but i really like curtis i thought he was a good player and i think he's got a lot of the tools and everything that could make him a good player at the professional level and i think cincinnati probably with an opportunity in, in the second round uh, you know i'd see things that have him projected anywhere from late first into the early third so i think a lot of them depend on position and what teams want but uh, i don't think the cincinnati would be disappointed if they got him i think he'd, he'd be a good addition to the team so there you have it, an in-depth look at 10 possible picks at the top of the second round. My thanks to USC head coach Clay Helton and some of the best college play-by-play broadcasters in the country. Before I wrap things up, I want to invite you to take part in something I started doing this week online that I'm calling Horde Makes the Call. I want to provide custom-made play-by-play specifically for you. It could be video of your kid's big moment in youth sports. I did one of those this week. But I also described a four-year-old riding her bike without training wheels for the first time and a three-year-old doing an indoor quarantine obstacle course. In other words, it can be just about anything. So send me your videos. You can do it on Twitter. My handle is Dan underscore Horde, H-O-A-R-D, or on Facebook. I'm easy to find if you just search for Dan Horde. I'll pick some out, I'll reach out to people to get details, and then I will provide custom-made play-by-play. I hope they'll bring a smile to your face. Again, I'm calling it Horde Makes the Call. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.